Well, I want to talk to you tonight as we continue in our series from the book of Mark. I want to talk to you about the power of God's call. There is something in this brief passage we're going to look at tonight that just absolutely arrests me. And um, I've looked, preached on this as a youth pastor. I've preached on this on a Sunday morning here at the church. But tonight as we're teaching and going through verse by verse through the book of Mark, I thought I'd take a little extra time with that because it's an incredibly powerful verse of Scripture when you stop and think about it. Now, studying the Bible, and I often tell people, it says, you know, slow down, stop, read your Bible. Uh, this week, my wife and I were talking, and, and I said to her, I says, enough people don't read books anymore. And she said, how do you know? I said, because I have conversations with people. And I said, they're not reading good novels. They're not reading good fiction. They're not reading good history. They're not reading biography. And she was like, how do you know? I said, because they're talking in sound bites. And when I asked, they're reading commentators, they're watching YouTube, they're watching cable news. When you read a book, you've got to be quiet. You've got to sit down and let the author talk to you, and in a sense, you are listening. And when you're reading that book, and I don't mean to sound like your school teacher right here, but when you're reading that book, your imagination goes to work. You can smell the smells that are taking place in the vineyard. You can hear the sound of battle as there's horses and there's swords clashing or tanks or bombs being dropped. You can, you can hear the sound of a city. You're, you hear those things. You smell those things. And you're, you see the images in your mind as you read. And you take time to listen. You learn how to develop that skill at an early age, especially if your parents read to you before you could even read yourself because you're learning how to connect words with sounds and with symbols and those events. I was listening to Mark Buchan preach a message one time, and he talked about a trip that he had made to Africa. He said, I've made this particular trip twice, and as someone that's been to Africa a few times and as someone who's seen the, the, uh, the wildlife there, he was talking about his guides. And he said that, you know, the same trip, he said, one was wonderful. And he said, what made it wonderful was the guide. He said, the other trip was a disaster. And what made it disastrous was the guide. And he said that the one guide, Stephen, Stephen grew up not far from Masamara, this particular wildlife uh, refuge that they were going through. And Masamara is home to elephants, is home to lions, is home to wildebeest, crocodiles, lions, cheetahs. You see everything there. And he says, as a guy who is a suburban man, he said, I think I've seen wildlife when I've seen a squirrel. So I was all excited my first trip, and Stephen was bringing all of these things out for us. He said, but my second trip, William, it was so disappointing because William could not see what Stephen saw. And he said it wasn't that he wasn't looking. He said he was just looking at the wrong things. He said William, excuse me, Stephen could be driving them through on a Jeep or a Land Rover. And he said all of a sudden Stephen would stop and he would look out at the distance. And he said all I could see was tall grass and acacia trees. But he said Stephen would study it and then he would drive out there. And he said pretty soon I'd see either a pride of lions laying under a tree, or I'd see a couple of leopards laying, sunning themselves on a rock ledge, or he said, I would even see sometimes, you know, a, a hippopotamus nursing 
a baby, which that's incredible to think about these animals that live in the water, and he would see them nursing. He said, on the other hand, William, he said, William would fly past everything, and we'd stop and say, William, William, there's elephants, and William would go, where? And he's a guide. He said, sometimes William would just follow everybody else and pull up where they were pulled up at, and he says, we could see wildlife, but their people were always jockeying with their their Jeeps or their Land Rovers to get a better view. I understand that. I've seen that. I'm telling you this tonight because if you're not careful, the dinging on your phone, the ringing of your phone, the messages coming in, the television, we need to stop everything, turn off our computers, read the Bible the way we would read a good book, and let God speak to us and be quiet and listen. Sometimes people don't hear the call of God. Sometimes people don't see what God is doing simply because they're not listening. They may be reading, but they're not listening, and they're not taking time to process. So let's look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 tonight. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, these are the first public words of Jesus. You ought to circle this on your outline and maybe even jot that out to the side. This is important. So far, Jesus hasn't said anything, and Mark's bringing out the first public words of Jesus. The second thing, Jesus' cousin that he loved, Jesus' cousin that baptized him, Jesus' cousin that Jesus would later say about him, there's been no one born greater among women than John the Baptist. Jesus has just been through this 40 days of trial that we looked at two weeks ago, 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. So get the feeling Jesus is not happy, but he's not interfering because he knows God is at work. And these are the very first words that he speaks. How important are those first words? What was the first word that you remember a good friend or your husband or your wife or maybe your child saying to you? What was that very first word? I have video I was watching recently as I'm trying to put, you know, you've got to get everything digitized and get it off of tape because it's been so long. And Andrew is walking down the hill at our home in Georgia, and he's going, dog, 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 dog. And it's the first time we've heard him say dog, and he's so excited because the neighbor is walking his dog. Well, that became priceless, but immediately in my mind, I went right back there because I've told him that story over and over again. These are the first words of Jesus. And he says to us, the time is fulfilled. What does that mean? The time is fulfilled. I mean, when he starts preaching, these are his first words, the time is fulfilled. Now, if a prophet stood up and said, the time is fulfilled, you imagine Elijah saying that. But now Jesus, God has entered history here. God has entered history as a man, and these are the very first words he utters, the time is fulfilled. You need to pay careful attention because God has entered history as a man. We know that from the Christmas story, but remember, we talked about this two weeks ago, or actually three weeks ago. Mark doesn't deal with the Christmas story. Mark gets right to business. He's teaching the gospel. He, he wants you to see all these miracles of Jesus. God has entered into history. His first words are, the time is fulfilled. 
Do you remember in 2003 when President Bush surprised the troops in Iraq and no one knew he was going? Even his parents, the former president, Mrs. Bush, did, they expected him at the table for Thanksgiving dinner that day. I didn't realize that until later reading the news. They didn't even have a clue because they kept it such a secret trying to protect the president going to a battle zone. Paul Brimmer was the highest-ranking official, and so Brimmer was supposed to speak. If you've read his book, you know about this. And Brimmer stands up and says, as you know, the highest-ranking senior official is supposed to bring the Thanksgiving greetings today. And he says, but I happen not to be the highest-ranking official here. He said, with the highest-ranking senior official here, please come out and address the troops today. And to everybody's shock, President Bush emerged from behind the screen and the soldiers literally were jumping up and down on top of the table clapping because this was the first time since somebody like Washington or Lincoln had appeared on the battle lines as president to address the troops. The place went bananas. The country was shocked. His parents were surprised because the president entered into a mess. God entered into a mess when he came into history as a man. Do you remember when the divers were trapped, uh, the kids were trapped in the Thai cave? You remember that? There was a story in the Washington Post in 2018, and um, I saved that story because it was such a powerful story, is that there was a group of divers the year before, excuse me, cavers the year before had been trapped in a cave in Indiana. And to make the long article short, she was writing because she is a caver, and she was writing about how she had been properly trained, how the group she was leading had been properly trained. They checked the weather. They let people know when they're supposed to exit the cave like you should. If you've ever been wild cave spelunking, and I have, you, you go through all these things. You carry a certain amount of survival supplies, but you can't carry very big packs because of the narrow passages that sometimes you have to get through. Well, it turned out a freak storm came up, and rather than there being less than a half an inch of rain, there was five inches of rain dumped in that part of Indiana, turned the cave into a raging river, and they huddled up in a tall place in a small room, and all they could do was wait, and they waited over 24 hours until the water had subsided enough. When the rescue team got to them, she said, we stunk, we were all huddled together, and this is what the rescuer said. He said, this is the most terrible smell that I've ever smelled, but it's the best smell that I've ever felt because I found you alive. Isn't that cool? Now stop and think about that. What must this earth have felt like to Jesus when he left heaven? I mean, this is big. The time is fulfilled. God has entered history as a man. We need to pay attention to what he's saying. You see, the gospel means good news. It's the core of Jesus' teaching. In other words, the good news, the gospel that Jesus is preaching, it means that the Messiah has come to break the power of sin, and God's beginning His personal reign on earth. It's not that God didn't rule everything and was in control of everything, but this is the second Adam. This is Christ coming and entering into our world. Second thing he says is the kingdom of God will not be fully realized until all the evil in the world has been judged and removed. In other words, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is present. It's now, but it's not yet. 
Look at me for just a second. That's an important theological concept right there. It's now, but it's not yet. Say that with me. Now, but not yet. That means the kingdom of God is here now, but the fullness of the kingdom will not come until Jesus returns and destroys all sin and judges all sin and removes it from the earth. Why? Because it was prophesied Christ would come to earth first as a suffering servant. That's all through the book of Isaiah. But he will come again. That's what we're waiting on as the judge and king to rule victoriously over all the earth. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a life lived under the rule of God. The kingdom of God is a life lived under the rule of God. If you want to experience kingdom life, then Jesus says there's two things that you must do. You must repent and you must believe. How many of you noticed something in that passage I read to you tonight just a little different? The Bible doesn't say repent of your sin in this passage. We should repent of our sins. Don't, don't get me wrong. We should repent of our sins. But in this particular passage, Mark doesn't use the word sin. He says repent and believe the good news. There's nothing about sin in this particular passage. What Mark is emphasizing is that the kingdom of God has arrived and people can't see it because they're looking in the wrong places for it. Sometimes they're looking for the wrong thing, what they think the kingdom of God should be. How many of the Jews did not recognize who the Messiah was? and did not re Even the apostle Paul says he didn't recognize him at first. Nicodemus at first didn't recognize him. Because oftentimes they were looking for someone that would overthrow the Roman government. They were looking for someone that would kick Caesar all the way back to Rome. They wanted Israel. Remember how the disciples even asked Jesus? I mean, after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, what was it the disciples asked Jesus? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You see... We can expect the wrong thing. We can look for the wrong thing. That's why the Apostle Paul says it is important that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How does that happen? Paul says in Romans 12, through the Word of God. Let me say it again. Look at me for just a second. Stop. Shut off the dings, the interruptions from your phone. Shut off the cable TV. Maybe say to your husband or wife or your children, if you're at that season of life where you can do that, I need just a few minutes alone with God's Word to pray. And if you're not at that season of life, then, you know, I understand. Maybe you need some time for your husband to take the kids or for your wife to take responsibility for something. But take some time where you're quiet and you're alone with the Word of God because we all have to have this. Listen. Jesus said, in effect, to Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. I think what Jesus was saying there, in light of what I'm looking at here in, chapter, in Mark chapter 1, and these very first public words of Jesus is, unless you go through a complete rebirth, unless you go through a complete revolution, unless you are totally renewed, you won't be able to see. Now, here's what you need to know about the kingdom of God now. We talked for just a moment about that Jesus will return to judge the earth. But the kingdom of God begins quietly with the rule and the reign of God in people's hearts. 
The kingdom of God was as near as people's willingness to make Jesus king over their lives or Lord over their lives. That's how near the kingdom is. Tonight, my friend, if you're watching and you're listening to this evening, you can realize the kingdom just by committing your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what it means to repent and believe in just a moment. But if you feel that stirring in your heart, if you feel that drawing in your heart, I really want to know more about the kingdom. God is drawing you by His Spirit. And the kingdom of God begins quietly in our hearts when we trust our lives to Him and we give ourselves to Him. Listen to Luke 17, verse 21. The kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that cool? Tonight, I know that the kingdom is within me, is within you. Look at what J.C. Ryle said. Now, I know that I, I just told you that in this passage, he's not necessarily talking about repenting of sin. We need to repent of our sins. But what he's talking about is recognizing that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom begun. And J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle in England wrote, Have we felt our sins and forsaken them? Have we taken hold of Christ and believed? We may reach heaven without learning or riches or health or worldly greatness, but we will never reach heaven if we die unrepentant and unbelieving. I agree with Bishop Riles. We've got to repent of our sins. But the thing I think Jesus is wanting you to see tonight is the kingdom so that you can see your need to repent of your sins. And maybe you're listening this evening, and you might even be arguing with me. You might even be giving some pushback, but for some reason, you're still listening. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening right now, because Jesus preached to people who wanted to listen and people who didn't want to listen. Jesus preached to people who wanted to listen and who didn't want to listen. Those, that tells me that I have a responsibility, not just to talk to the people who are willing to listen, but to be sure and make the gospel known to those who don't know about the gospel. I, I remember one time we were hiking in Colorado. We were at 12,000 feet, Mount Carbon. We were at 12,000 feet, and my wife and a friend drove around to the base of the mountain where we were at. And Christopher and I and another friend, we were on top of this mountain, and I called, and they couldn't see us. So we got Christopher's T-shirt. We pulled his T-shirt off of him because it was real colorful. And we put it on a walking stick that we had taken up there. And we began waving it back and forth. And they said, we can just barely see you. But I remember being so amazed. That's so many years ago now. So amazed that they could talk to me 12,000 feet up in the air and me seeing them. I remember being amazed that that signal was going to outer space Bouncing right back down to me to talk and for them to talk. And just that cool moment. Friends, the kingdom of God is much more nearer to you tonight than any cell phone signal. The kingdom of God is much nearer to you. I tell you that because it wasn't long after that that a hiker got lost in Colorado. He had told his family when he would be home, he didn't show up, so they called search and rescue. Search and rescue kept trying to call him, and I'm notorious for this. He didn't recognize the number, so he wouldn't answer his phone. And so the next day, he came out. He finally got back to his car. Everybody was happy, 
but he could have been found a lot sooner had he simply answered his phone. How many people come to Jesus late in life, but they could have been saved a lot sooner? How many people die and go to hell because they didn't answer the call? Jesus preached to people that were willing to listen and people who weren't willing to listen. So it's important that we see this whole passage tonight. This is important. Mark's setting the scene. John's in prison. John's going to be executed. We know all of that, so we tend to rush by it. Get what Jesus is feeling here. John the Baptist has paid a price. Mary and Joseph have paid a price. Although Mark is not talking about this, you and I need to think because the kingdom of God has come to us at great cost. And this is the kingdom. This is the gospel. The good news is that God has come, God is with us, and that God cares for us. God has come, God is with us, and God cares for us. Can we say that together? God has come, God is with us, and God cares for us. Now say that again like you mean it. You're not just reading it. God has come, God is with us, and God cares for us. Did you pass some people by today that you didn't care about? Did you pass some people by today that you didn't even notice? Were you walking down the grocery aisle looking at your phone and your list, or did you pass people? Every one of those people that you and I don't notice, God notices. God has come. God is with us. And God cares. You're going to see why that's important in just a few moments at the end of this message. Secondly, when you go on to read, this gospel then will disrupt and give you a new life. How many of you know that? The gospel will disrupt. It'll interrupt. It will change. It will completely revolutionize your life. So let's keep reading. <clears throat> As Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately... He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. I mean, Zebedee must have been quite the dad. Zebedee must have already heard something about Jesus. Zebedee must have known something about Jesus. Because all of a sudden, this stranger comes walking along and says, follow me. And his boys leave the business. They're going to inherit this business. They don't. They do something else. They're going to inherit this business. And he leaves, the, leaves them with the servants. There are volumes spoken here. You've got to get Zebedee a day. I know people who get so upset when their children want to go to the mission field or their children want to go pastor or go into the ministry. And yet when Jesus speaks, you're seeing the power of God's word. This is not what rabbis said to people. Rabbis, they, people called a rabbi so they could study the word together. Now Jesus is doing something rabbis don't do. Jesus is calling his followers, and he's issuing this command, follow me. Can you imagine the power of the word of God? This is Jesus. God has come in the flesh. The power of the word of God is he calls out to Simon and to Andrew and to James and to John, follow me. Dude, that's big. <laughs> imagine somebody walking in this building tonight and saying, follow me. We'd all go, call the hospital. We have got a sick man here. 
And yet they get up and they follow Jesus. Look at Psalms 33 and verse 9. This is another way I see the divinity of Christ. As soon as he spoke, the world was created, and at his command, the earth was formed. That's, you're seeing the power of the Word of God. Not only that, this phrase, follow me, is going to be repeated over and over in Mark. And it's repeated over and over in the Gospels. It's an important phrase, follow me. In that little box, I give you several scriptures you can look at about the power of the Word of God. And then thirdly and finally tonight, we don't know whether or not they knew. It's possible they knew through John the Baptist. But here's what we do know. Jesus saw them and Jesus saw you long before we saw Jesus. Jesus saw me long before I saw him. Jesus saw you, Ruth, and he loved you. Jesus saw you, Alan, and he loved you. And he says the same thing to you and I that he said to them. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Not to hunt. You only get one shot. You pull that trigger and you miss, they're gone. And that not with a hook, because he's not fishing with it, they're fishing with a net. And so they pull in the fish. Remember, they're mending the nets. Do you remember that? We just read that. They're mending the nets because sometimes there would be holes in the net. And we have to look for the holes in our ministry and the holes in our lives and the holes in our family and mend them. Because the purpose of all of us, God wants us all to be fishing for people, casting that net out. You might know that, not know this. I think I've said this several times from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. But in my study on Sunday morning, we always pray, now, Lord, pull the net in. Pull the net in, you know. And I don't worry about who comes in the net. The Bible says that at the end of the age, God will do the separate. The angels will do the separating. I just want to get the gospel out to those who want to listen and those that don't want to listen as well. Amen? Follow what I'm saying? So he says, follow me. Dallas Willard said this, and I don't know if I put this in your notes tonight or not. If I didn't, you want to write this down. Dallas Willard says, the Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than on lives. The Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than on lives. When Jesus says, follow me, it brings to mind Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. When Jesus says, follow me, we're trusting our lives to him, that he's going to provide for us, he's going to protect us, he's going to care for us, he's going to anoint us, he's going to be with us all the way. He said, it's what sheep do with the shepherd. They follow the shepherd. So he's saying to these, these men that are fishermen. Now, James and John were not poor boys. We don't know about Simon and, and uh, Andrew. We think that Simon was a man of, of some means because he had a home. His mother-in-law lived with him. You know, we, we know, but we know for Zebedee to own a family business and to have hired servants, the Bible doesn't talk about uh, Simon and Andrew having any employees, but we know that Zebedee is. They're throwing their lot in with Jesus just at his command to follow me. What does that say to you and I tonight? We have a call to mission. Our mission is to persuade people to become passionate followers of Christ. That's what it means to fish for people. Our mission statement here at Woodland is celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. Our, our, 
the call of God on our lives is to a larger life. I mean, he's saying to these guys, they've got a legitimate business. They're paying their bills. They're, they're building a home. Peter's built a home. Zebedee's got employees. He's wanting to leave something for his sons. But Jesus says, I'm calling you to a larger life. I'm calling you to more than business. I'm calling you to more than building a house. I'm calling you to more than retirement. I'm calling you to a kingdom life. And I think too often we live like we spell God with a little g rather than a capital G. We live putting, making mud pies, as C.S. Lewis says, when God has called us to be partakers and the renewing of this world. The kingdom of God has come. The time is fulfilled. And Jesus Christ is returning. And when he returns, he's coming for people like you and me that are busy celebrating his love by persuading others to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to do good. Do you remember the sermon series I preached called Do Good? You know? He calls us to this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do, say it with me, the good things. Say it again. The good things he planned for us to do long ago. When I read these few verses, John, excuse me, Mark 1, 14 through 20, three things come to mind. I was made for this. I was created for God. I was created in his image. I was made for the kingdom. Secondly, since he's sending us out to fish for people, he sent us out to be the hands and the feet of himself. I'm called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The people I pass by need at least a smile. They need a greeting. And thirdly, according to the apostle Paul, I am Christ's letter to the world. So, in conclusion tonight, and boy, I love to say that, but it doesn't ever really mean anything. <laughs> but in conclusion tonight, it's important to understand, stop, read the Word of God, think through why is the writer, in this case, Mark, why is he telling me about John the Baptist? Why does he choose these to be the very first words that Jesus is going to say? Why doesn't he use the word sin? Why does he just simply say, repent and believe the good news? And why is the call of God so powerful that people will leave their business, their trades, even their family to go and follow Christ? Why is he telling me this? What's the message for me in this? You can't get that if you're constantly being interrupted by your phone, your Twitter, your message app, your Facebook. We still need an old-fashioned prayer closet. Amen? And let's let God speak to us. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that even in these brief words tonight, that, God, the world explodes right before our eyes, and we see that we were created for something bigger. If we only had just this passage and not the stories of the miracles that are about to take place, but just this passage, God, we would know there's something good. The kingdom has arrived. God has come into history. The time is fulfilled. Something good is about to happen. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen and amen. I sure hope to see you Sunday morning. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.